you've got um, a Bible with you, if you want to turn to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, and I'm going to read chapter 5, starting at verse 12, and going to the end of the book. We're in our last um, little chunk of this letter. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I don't know about you, but those are just incredibly rich words, aren't they? It's like a banquet before us. Um, we're only going to have one course of that banquet, or possibly two today. But let's pray, and then we will dive in. We might pick up some of the rest of that next week, actually, because there is so much in there. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you for Paul, who wrote these words down. And just thank you for um, the, the richness and the depth that is in these verses. And Lord, we pray for us as your church this morning. Would you encourage us? Just that, just that song that we've sung that reminds us that the Holy Spirit is in us when we follow Jesus. Lord, we're just amazed that, that you would love us and you would die for us and you would then inhabit our hearts. So Lord, just give us fresh amazement at who you are this morning, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. <clears throat> Waiting um, in life can be hard. I don't know if you're the kind of person who enjoys a wait. Just during those hottest days of the years. When was it? Was it sort of July, mid-July sometime? I pulled onto the M56 late in the afternoon to hit this. And it was 37, 38 degrees outside. I'm sat in my car. I can't go backwards. I can't go forwards. I can't get out. I'm just hoping and praying the air conditioning doesn't break, which, praise the Lord, it didn't. But I was there for quite some time. You know, the minutes were going. I think the hours ticked by, and then eventually the car goes moving. It's frustrating waiting when you don't know what's coming up. There's another kind of waiting, though, isn't there? It's been exam results season, and we've been waiting with um, Timothy to get his GCSE results. But that's a different time of waiting, because you know the day and the hour and the location when those results will come. Now, the church in Thessalonica is a church that is waiting. It's waiting in anticipation that the Lord Jesus would return. And they're waiting for all that Paul has said in the previous chapters to come true. Now, Jesus will return in great glory. That is the promise of the word. That is the promise. Our human words sort of fail to explain exactly what it will be like. But there again, our human words fail to explain the magnificence of our thumb or a flower. So we shouldn't be surprised at that. But Jesus will return in great glory. And the church here is they are waiting. And really what these verses are at the end is Paul is saying, while you wait for the Lord Jesus to return, 
be attentive, pray, listen, and get on with all this stuff about gospel ministry. Share the Lord Jesus until Jesus returns. So Paul talks about all kinds of things. He talks about respecting leaders. He talks about living in peace, about working well, about not sitting around just waiting for the Lord to return. He talks about greeting one another. He talks about a holy kiss, and we won't get into that this morning. But what I do want to focus on today is two things, and it's prayer and it's prophecy. Two things that I think are really key in this passage. So let's have a think about what Paul has to say about prayer for a moment. Who enjoys traveling by train? Anyone enjoys traveling by train? Yeah, I I like traveling by train. I don't do it that often, but the reason I like it is because you can sit, you can have a snooze, you can read a book, you can um, mess around on your iPad or whatever it is. All the kinds of things that are a bit problematic while you're driving, you can do in a train. So I was on this train journey a few years back, and it was probably about a two-hour train journey. And I got sat next to somebody who wanted to talk. Now, I like talking to people. I really do like talking to people. But this was not really a dialogue conversation. It was like me in receipt of a monologue. And this person spoke at me for two hours and told me everything about their whole life history. And at the end of it, you know what? I came off this train thinking, they probably don't know anything about me because they never asked. No, and I I just knew everything about them. You know, sometimes I fear that that's what our prayer life is like. We babble on to God. We talk to God, which is great and is something we should be doing but we fail to listen to what God is saying in response. And so what Paul does here is he talks about prayer, and we'll talk about that, but then he talks about prophecy, about the other side, about listening and receiving what God would say to us. You know, prayer is absolutely fundamental in the Christian life, isn't it? If you've got a good memory, and we're back with us in January, we had Ian Christensen um, came to speak to us, and he's always stuck with me what he said. I think he said it a number of times over the, the two days he was here. Much prayer much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, well, no power. And he said, power for what? And I'm paraphrasing here. Well, power to live a holy life, for victory over sin, to share the gospel, to be equipped with the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit. Now, we are a church that prays, but we could do an awful lot more. We have our prayer meetings. We pray in our small groups. I know there are a number of people who sort of meet informally in prayer triplets, but there is always so much more we could be doing in prayer. Because prayer is foundational in terms of seeking the will of God. But it can be very easy, I think, to fall into that trap of treating prayer like an event. You know, like we've said our prayers and now we go on and do something else and now we do something else. And it has a start and a finish. What does Paul say here in this famous verse in verse 17, if you've got the Bible in front of you? He says, pray continuously. Pray continuously. What a difference that is. Prayer goes from being an activity to being a vocation. It goes to being something that we're actually doing all the time in every situation. I think we mentioned this before, but Phil Jump, the regional minister, he talks about both being people who say prayers, who come to God and speak to God like, you know, we might use the Lord's Prayer or one of the great prayers of Scripture, our own prayers, but we are also continually prayerful. We're to live life with the knowledge that God is with us at all times and in all places. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, when you pray, it's not an optional extra being a Christian to pray, it's part of what it means. We pray, we talk to God, we bring our requests to him. But prayerfulness, well, that's continually praying. That's actually living the whole of life, knowing that it's in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I find if I'm prayerful and I get tempted, it's a lot easier to resist temptation. 
when I know that God is with me and I can just fire that arrow prayer and say, Lord, help me stay true to you. Or if I know I've got to speak to somebody about something and it's a difficult conversation and you fire that arrow prayer up and say, Lord, help me say your words, help me be gracious, help me be kind and compassionate, it's a lot, lot easier. Because we live a continually prayerful life. So are we people who pray continuously? I don't mean we're in a continuous prayer meeting. But is our life, does the backdrop of our life, is it prayer? I don't mean five minutes a day, but I mean a continual life of prayer. Back to the train journey. You know, I'm sat there, I'm listening to this monologue. I don't get to share anything. I don't get, this person never listens to anything I say. I wonder today, are we not only praying to God, but do we long for God to speak to us? Do you long for what God has to say to you? For what God has to say to the church? For what God has to input into our lives? There's a bit of a stark warning in verse 19. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Because that suggests to me that actually churches can exist and the Holy Spirit has been poured out at Pentecost and continues to be poured out, but we can sit on everything that the Spirit would do amongst us. And we can quench it, and we can say, actually, that's too difficult, it gets a bit awkward, it needs a lot of work, so actually we will ignore the gifts of the Spirit, we will ignore all that the Spirit would do. You know, when we do that, I think one of the scariest things, me and Clive were talking about this yesterday, we end up in this world largely on our own. Because we're not listening to what God would say to us in our here and now situations. You know, I thought it was great what Simon was sharing before, about just having that confidence in the gospel. You know, God reminding us of things. But if we're not listening to God, whether it's God speaking through his word or whether it's speaking specifically through his spirit, we largely end up with human wisdom. So let's have a look at what Paul has to say in these verses. Well, first of all, he talks about the church being a place of celebration. Verse 16, rejoice always. Now that word rejoice is is from a Hebrew word and it means to spin around. I don't know if we should adopt that in our worship, you know, rotating worship or whatever it might be. But it's that sense that actually the church is a community of people who should be people of celebration. Why are we people of celebration? Well, it's primarily around the events of the resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead. Death has been conquered. He will return. We've sung this morning. We will rise again with him. We heard last week, we will meet him in the air. We will become like him. Is that not worth celebrating? Is that future hope that we have been saved and that we are his people? Is that not worth celebrating? We are communities brought to life by the Holy Spirit. We live a different story rooted in the cross and resurrection than the rest of the world. And it's something to rejoice over. And it's something to smile about. It's something to sing about. It's something to dance about, whatever is our way of expressing it. But again, we're reminded it's possible to quench all this. It's possible to sit on it. Now, the scriptures will tell us that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And Peter, empowered by the Spirit, would take the words of the prophet Joel. And he will say this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those last days. And they will prophesy. So what Peter does is he takes something from the Old Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, this is that. This is what God is now doing. And as you read through the book of Acts, the church doesn't say, well, this is all optional extras. It doesn't say that the dreams and the visions and the listening to God and the the Spirit being poured out is something we can ignore. 
but it's actually something that is central to what it means to be a spirit-filled community. So what are we to make of this in 2022? John Stott, um, I mentioned him a couple of weeks ago, great commentator, great writer on the New Testament, I think died a number of years ago now. Um, His commentary on 1 Thessalonians is absolutely brilliant. But he says this, he says, Sometimes churches and their services, and I'm quoting, can be unforgivably gloomy and boring. Now, I'm sure that's not our church. But it is a far cry, our present church, in so many ways from those spirit-filled communities that were in the book of Acts, where there is a dynamism of the spirit moving, of the spirit speaking. And, you know, when I think about that, I think, well, all of us, I would imagine, were educated in rationalism, in scientific method. We, we like things just like this. And when God breaks in and does something different, we can get a little bit twitchy. And we can say, I can't control this. What's God doing? And we can get very sort of insular and defensive. And yet we read the Bible. And what is the Bible? Well, it's God speaking, isn't it? Ultimately, that's what the Bible is. It's that God has spoken and God continues to speak. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God speaks through prophet and through prophecy. So what is prophecy? That's a bit of a tricky one. Well, its basic element, it's God speaking to us. That's at its most basic. I sort of have a working definition of prophecy, which I keep tweaking over the years. And this is where I'm up to as what I would define prophecy as. The tender heart of the Father revealed to his people. So it's something that comes from the heart of God, where God wants to speak into the here and now situations that people find themselves in. And then the prophet, very simply, is the one who brings the prophecy. Now, as we go through the Old Testament, we get the major prophets. You know, those ones who write these really long books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They take what God has said to them and they turn it into some of the most beautiful literature ever written. It's the most skillfully penned writings that we have as humanity, many of it. And then we get these more minor prophets, only minor because they're short, like Joel, Hosea, or Amos. And what we find time and time again is prophecy can be foretelling. It will be God having told the people, this is what is going to take place. You need to prepare yourself. This is the hope that is coming, or this is a warning of what may happen. But it can also be foretelling. This is what God is saying to the here and now. This is how God wants you to live. This is a call back to to the Lord's way, a call to live in, in the kind of the way that God calls us to be. It can be comfort. It can be hope. It can also be really hard to take. You know, when God speaks to us, he doesn't just say platitudes. He speaks to us, and sometimes he cuts us to the core. Read the Old Testament prophets, and we find that. As we're going to the New Testament, prophecy continues. We've just read from Acts chapter 2, where Peter says, effectively, this is that. This is prophecy being fulfilled in your midst. Anyone tell me what's in Acts chapter 11? It's like a Bible quiz. Anybody? What happens in Acts chapter 11, prophetically? Something is prophesied that's coming. A famine, Chris got there, a famine. A famine is coming. And the church is given a word from the Lord so it can prepare and take care of people. Now, how amazing would that be if we were given those kind of words that actually meant that we could take care of our communities better? And there is, um, it continues right the way through the New Testament. Paul talks about prophecy. The other writers talk about it. Now, then we get to the end of the New Testament. Some people argue, well, that's it for prophecy. You know, God has nothing more to say. The prophetic um, curtains close or whatever analogy you want to, to say. 
But you know, there is no evidence within Scripture that that is the case. There is no evidence in the writings of the next centuries. Um, Christians carried on writing books at the end of the New Testament, and they all talk about prophets traveling around. They talk about prophecy. They talk about God speaking into specific situations. But something does change at that point. Something does change. As the pens of the apostles are put down, as those who've ministered with them, as their ministry falls silent, the authoritative word of God, the line is drawn. The benchmark is set. But God continues to speak. And he will speak into our situations. He will expound scripture to us. He will speak to us in a different ways to encourage us to live for him. The question is, are we listening? Do we want to listen? Do we believe that the Spirit is still speaking to the church? Now, God's written word is forever true. It's a plumb line. We don't have to go and test it. We don't have to look and say, well, is this true or not? We know it's true. But God will still speak in other ways. Prophecy can be through that timely application of a word of Scripture. It can be an impression in our hearts and minds that God wants us to share something. It can be a revelation through a dream or a vision. We see that in Acts chapter 2. It can even be an audible voice. Who heard an audible voice from God? Go on, really going Bible quiz this morning. Samuel. Yeah, I've known people who are very sane and rational people who have heard God speak to them in an audible voice. It still happens. God still longs to speak to his people. Preaching should be prophetic because it's applying the word of God to the here and now and saying this is what God is saying to us. As we look through the Bible, music and other art forms can be prophetic. David prophesies using his heart. But it appears that early on in the days of the church, people were getting skeptical that God would speak. And so have a look at verse 21, where Paul has to say to this church in Thessalonica, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Or in other words, don't just bin them and say what an awful load of rubbish Because when we do that, we start to shut the door that God could have anything to say to us in our own context. When we do that, we start to say, actually, Lord, I'm not interested in what you have to say to me. I'm just going to put it all to one side. So instead, we are given an instruction. Verse 21, test everything. This is really important here. Test everything. 1 John 4, verse 1, it expounds it a bit. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into this world. So we test what is said, but John says, then you also have to test where it's coming from. If the person who's brought that message is not living in fellowship with other Christians, if their declarations of Jesus are off key or something like that, the messenger also is to be tested. I think it can also be very tempting in in our sort of experience of, of working out what God may be saying to use phrases like, God has said, and whereas actually what this passage does is encourage us to take a step back and to be humble and to allow things to be tested. So just a change of our language, like, I feel the Lord may be saying, or can we see if we, if we get that resonance that this is God? So how does this work out in practice? What does this mean for the life of the contemporary church? You know, we are a church, and we've had it this morning, haven't we, where people will come and they will bring something that believers God has laid on their heart. From time to time, people will bring words to us as a leadership team and ask us to pray over them and discern if it's for the wider church. And sometimes we do then, you know, send those around. We need to get better at that. I'm fully aware of that. But we do do that. We need more of that. We need God to be speaking. We need people to be praying and seeking the Lord for what he has for us moving forward. 
In prayer ministry, when we pray for one another, you know, there are those who, who will pray and they will say, you know, I think the Lord may be saying this over somebody's life. We need more of that as well. We need to hear more of what God would say into the lives of those of us as individuals. So how do we test? What does Paul mean when he says test everything? Well, I found um, this list of things about how we test, and I I don't know about you, but I, I found this really helpful. The first thing is this. Does it contradict the clear teaching of Scripture? You can follow these um, Scripture passages later on if you want to. You know, God will not disagree with himself. That is not in God's nature. He will not contradict himself. If somebody feels that God is saying something, and actually we look in the Bible and say, well, the Bible says differently, the Bible is always right. That's the basic way we look at that. It will not contradict. Second thing, does your spirit bear witness? Well, what does that mean? Well, we've sung today how the spirit inhabits the the heart of the Christian. And sometimes you'll be listening to somebody saying something, and there's just that heavenly amen that resounds inside of you. And you just know that that is something from the Lord. You know that that feels right. And then again, you can test that in Romans 8, 12 to 17. Thirdly, incredibly importantly, does it glorify Jesus? Is Jesus honored by what is said? You know, sometimes I've been in situations where a prophecy or a word is given, and actually it's more to do with the person giving it than it is to do with the Lord with whom it's meant to be about. If it doesn't glorify Jesus, again, I think we can dismiss. Fourthly, are there signs of manipulation or control? Manipulation is incredibly dangerous, isn't it? If human beings try to control one another, we end up in very, very dangerous places. You know, God will never manipulate us. He will never seek to control us in that kind of way. God brings freedom and brings grace and brings love and brings peace to our hearts. If something is an attempt to manipulate, then again, we need to be very carefully thinking about it. And fifthly, do the leaders whom you're accountable agree? And there's some words there from Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And Paul says, well, if you've tested something, if we've done all the right things to test, and then we think, okay, that's great. It sounds like this is something that is genuinely from the Lord. What do we do? Well, we hold on to what is good. We celebrate because we believe that God has spoken to us. Can I encourage us as a church to be genuinely open to the word of the Spirit, to what the Spirit might say to the churches? Yes, we are a church who is word and spirit. We are rooted in the word. The word never changes But I fully believe that God has things to say to us. And sometimes we're not listening. And sometimes we sort of have our fingers in our ears and our own agendas. And we need to be open to what the Spirit is saying. Just over three years ago, um, Claire and I were on sabbatical. I don't know where that last three years has gone, but it was three years ago now. And it was over the summertime. And just at the start of that period, we went to a, a particular church on the Sunday morning. And it was, we were blessed by the service. It was a really great time. And afterwards, we were talking to people like you do over coffee. And they were saying, who are you? Where are you from? And we were telling them we were on sabbatical. And two of the leaders from the church said, can we come and pray with you? So they prayed over us. And at the end of it, one of them said, I just get this sense that the Lord is saying, you need to rest and you need to be refreshed because you're going to face the toughest time in ministry that you're going to have ever faced in the next 18 months. Now, that was not the word I wanted to hear that morning. If he'd have said, you know, God's told me to give you my Maserati, or God has told me to bless you in some way, or just some beautiful... You know, that that was the kind of word that, you know, you, you want to receive. But God doesn't speak platitudes to us. God doesn't speak platitudes. So me and Claire took that away 
We prayed on it, and we just got a real sense that this was, this was for us for that time. And so we took it seriously, and we, we did spend that summer really being refreshed and being renewed and, and, and whatever. What happened? A few months later, the pandemic hit. Church doors were closed for the first time since the Reformation. We had to work out how to do life and church and all the rest of it. Now, part of me then thinking, well, Lord, why didn't you tell me a pandemic was coming? Because I wouldn't have had a clue what to do. I wouldn't have had a clue what to do with that. I wouldn't have known how to respond to a word from God that said everything is going to shut down and millions of people are going to be ill and this, that, and the other. I wouldn't have dealt with that. But it was almost like the Lord graciously just pulled the corner back and said, you need to prepare. You need to prepare. Sometimes that is enough that God does that. And we praise God when he speaks to us. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at the news and I feel fearful at the moment. I look and I see that there are all kinds of problems coming. I know that many of us in this room will be thinking, I have no idea how I'm going to pay my bills over the winter. I have no idea what this future holds that that we're in at the moment. But there is somebody who does. And he is sat on the throne of heaven. And if we seek him and pray to him and come into his presence, I believe he will speak to us and just give us that wisdom and that insight into God's heart for how as a church we respond to these situations. But if we don't do that, I'm afraid we're on our own. We're just dealing with human wisdom and human goalposts. And I don't know about you, but I look at the news and that really scares me. But we have a sovereign God who loves us, who cares for us, who longs to speak to us. So how do we listen to God? Well, this could be another six-week sermon series, but just four quick pointers. One, when we pray, don't just talk, but be silent. You know, it was Elijah, wasn't it, who heard the still, small voice. There was all these storms and everything else. But it was in the stillness that God spoke. Something I don't think we're already always that good at, allow others to pray with, with you. You know, we're very British at times, keep ourselves to ourselves. But just that allowing somebody else to pray with you can allow the Holy Spirit to speak by another person into your lives. Seek the gifting of the Holy Spirit in this area. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, I would rather have you prophesy than speak in tongues. Now, knowing God's heart for a situation is one of the most important things we can seek after, and we're told to seek after it. Fourthly, be humble. Be humble. That is so important. You know, I would rather have a go at something and be wrong and then be humble about it than not do anything at all. We need to be a church that has that ability to, if we get something wrong, to say, sorry, (laughs) we must have misheard on that one or, or something's not been quite right. But be humble. Don't be proud. Don't come thinking we've got all the answers. And if we do those kind of things, the Lord is speaking. I believe the Lord is speaking. Are we listening? Are we listening? So Paul rounds us off. There is an amazing prayer, again, in verses 23 to 24. A prayer for holiness, for our whole beings to be blameless until the Lord returns. But until that day, we pray and we listen. And then we act on what God is saying. Can I pray for us that God would would just give us that fresh sense, that desire to be hearing from him and then to do what he calls us to do. Let me pray for us. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we are amazed at your love for us. As we read the scriptures, we see time and again how you would speak to your people. And Lord, as we look at our lives, we look at our age, we look at our situations that we're facing, 
We just long to hear the voice of the Spirit, what the Spirit would say to the church. And so, Holy Spirit, we just pray that prayer of 1 Corinthians 14, that we would have a renewed outpouring of listening to you, of that prophetic gifting amongst us, that we would hear what the Spirit would say so we can be gospel people, kingdom people, in this world that so desperately needs you as their Lord and Saviour. So, Lord, yeah, we just pray for a real openness, a growing openness to you amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.